We've been waiting for you. Come on in. It's Talk 10 Tuesday with Chuck Buck and Dr. Erica Raymer. Today, we welcome Linnell James with Blue Cross Blue Shield Association to report on a national health equity strategy to confront disparities in health care among communities of color. Patient safety indicators, providers and queries, healthcare's P's and Q's. Crystal Campbell will tell you how to mind your P's and Q's. The good, the bad, and the ugly could describe America's collective mental health these days. Internationally renowned psychiatrist Dr. H. Stephen Moffick reveals new insight about our issues. We'll get the latest coding news from senior healthcare consultant Lori Johnson, and Tim Powell is at the Tuesday News Desk. Plus, Dr. Reamer presents her talkback segment. Now here's the publisher of ICD-10 Monitor, the host of Talk 10 Tuesday, and a man who has the largest Cabbage Patch Kids collection west of the Mississippi, Chuck Buck. <laughs> Thank you, Clark Anthony. Yes, indeed, I do. Thank you, everybody. Uh, welcome to the 489th edition of Talk 10 Tuesday, and good morning, Erica. Good morning, Chuck, and good morning, everyone. <laughs> Hey, welcome back, everybody. We've been on hiatus since December the 14th, and boy, it's really great to be back, isn't it? It is great to be back. We have an excellent broadcast today, essentially focused on the social determinants of health and what the industry is calling health equity. That's right. Uh, The nation's community of color are most likely to be adversely impacted by maternal health issues, behavioral health issues, diabetes, and cardiovascular conditions. Yes, and the good news is that Blue Cross Blue Shield Association is doing something about these issues. Yes, they are. On the broadcast today will be Linnell James. He's from the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. And boy, the association, what they're doing is really, frankly, very amazing. Looking forward to hearing about it. And rounding out our program on the social determinants of health will be our good friend, Dr. H. Stephen Muffick. And we're proud to say that Dr. Muffick is a Talk in Tuesday resident psychiatrist. Yes, the doctor is in, <laughs> as we used to read in the peanut newspaper comic strip. Yeah, that's true. And speaking of doctors, what is your talkback segment today, Dr. Rimmer? Uh, I'm going to update everyone on Omicron and the new CDC guidelines. Very good. We look forward to you, as always, to your talkback segment. We have much news to report, and we begin this morning with Tim Powell. Tim is at the Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk. The Talk 10 Tuesday News Desk is brought to you by ICD University Bookstore, inviting you to purchase the webcast and the book on the 2022 Social Determinants of Health. Get comprehensive help to correctly use the ICD-10 CMZ codes to report social determinants data. This special package is now available at the ICD University Bookstore. Here now is Tim Powell. Thanks, Chuck. And Oracle recently announced that it was buying Cerner Healthcare for almost $30 billion. Currently, Epic controls 31% of the hospital electronic health record market. Now, that number is a little misleading as it skews radically as you move towards hospitals with larger budgets. Wealthier hospitals are much more likely to be on the Epic platform. As an old data guy, I do want to point out that there is also potentially a difference in philosophy in terms to access underlying data. Oracle has long been a major competitor in the market for large database servers, and this would lead me to speculate that Cerner Systems will focus on synergies in Oracle's relational database and data warehousing solutions, allowing Cerner users to access their data using Oracle databases and Oracle data warehouses as repositories. Anyone that has worked with Epic knows that their model works around the idea that that the only way to get data out of Epic is through Epic's internal reporting system. 
Here is where the basic difference in philosophy comes in. Users on Cerner systems, potentially backed by Oracle databases and data warehouses, may be able to pull data in a variety of ways, including storing large amounts of historical data in data warehouses not used in daily operations. Epic pulls data, pulls all data, and provides all reporting through its closed system using Epic reporting tools. For day-to-day -day users in a, in a hospital that needs access to all the records and data, such as admissions and procedures and, and billing, the Epic model works great. Here's the stickier issue for some issues. There are some users, mainly in finance, that need large amounts of processed or static data. An example would be a listing of all Medicare patients in the prior year. Here's the rub. When you try to pull large amounts of historical data, from the real-time databases used by folks in registering patients, you can create slowdowns and backlogs. The real-time databases used by daily users are not really designed to process all the requests for vast amounts of historical data needed by users like finance teams. I never pick winners and losers, and I'm making no recommendations here. I would only advise that as healthcare providers move forward, they consider not just how the EMR will process daily transactions that they will be able to use, but to also ask uh, how they're going to get data out of it in terms of reporting. And with that, back to you, Chuck. Thanks, Tim, very much. That was Tim Powell. Tim is a compliance expert and an ICD-10 Monitor National Correspondent. It's Tuesday, it's January the 11th, and you're listening to the 489th live edition of Talk Tuesday Standby. Are you tired of your clinicians not getting credit for taking care of patients with sepsis? Sepsis is one of the most common discharge MSDRG diagnoses, and it accounts for one in three inpatient deaths. Yet sepsis is widely misunderstood. Adding to the confusion, the official definition of sepsis changed in 2016. Coders and clinical documentation improvement specialists are hesitant to perform traditional and clinical validation queries. The result is a high rate of denied claims due to inaccurate coding and documentation deficiencies. We invite you to spend an hour with Dr. Erica Reimer as she demystifies many aspects of sepsis in an ICD-10 Monitor webcast. This timely and important webcast is Thursday, January 20th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. Register to attend at the ICD University Bookstore. Here now with the Talk in Tuesday Coding Report is Lori Johnson. Good morning, Lori Johnson. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Erica, and Happy New Year to our listeners. On December 23rd, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, released the Diagnosis Code files, which are effective April 1st, 2022. The new files include addenda for the index and tabular references, new ICD-10-CM official coding and reporting guidelines, ICD-10-CM order file and list of codes and descriptions. The index and tabular files also include minor updates to the classification in addition to the new code. There are three diagnosis codes, Z28.310, unvaccinated for COVID-19, Z28.311, partially vaccinated for COVID-19, Z28.39, other under-immunized status. The codes and subcategories Z28.31 should not be assigned to people who are not eligible for COVID vaccine. Inclusion terms for Z28.39 include delinquent immunization status and lapsed immunization schedule status. None of the codes are CCs or MCCs. 
CMS also released MSDRG version 39.1, which will be effective April 1st, 2022. The grouper update includes the new diagnosis and procedure codes and the new MCE for unspecified laterality. The codes that trigger the new MCE will be found in Table 6, P as in Paul, point .3A, on the fiscal year 22 inpatient prospective payment system final rule page on the CMS website. There are also updates to the national coverage determinations. There are three different changes that have been made. They removed three procedure codes from the artificial heart and related devices from the non-covered procedure and limited covered procedure list. They also removed two procedure codes from the ventricular assist devices non-covered procedure list and removed two procedure codes from the ventricular assist devices limited coverage procedure list. CMS has also publicized a new process to request procedure codes and MSDRG changes. CMS is moving from sending requests to an email box to a Medicare Electronic Application Request Information System, or MIRIS. While there is a soft launch this January, this system will be used in the fiscal year 23 rulemaking process. The Coordination and Maintenance Committee meeting in March will review the new system. And you can see my article on ICD10Monitor.com. And with that, Erica, I will send it back to you. Thanks, Lori. That was Lori Johnson. Lori is a senior healthcare consultant at Revenue Cycle Solutions, LLC. Chuck? Thanks, Erica. And Lori Johnson, thank you again. Be sure to read Lori's excellent article. It's our lead story this morning in the ICD10 Monitor. How does one healthcare go about minding their P's and Q's well? When we're talking about patient safety indicators and providers, well, there are your two P's and queries, there's your Q. So we're talking about P's and Q's. Here now with more on patient safety indicators is Crystal Kimball. Good morning, Crystal. PSIs, wow, that's always a dicey subject. Talk about one that's really problematic. Will you please? Yes, I will, Chuck. Good morning, everyone. Today we're going to talk about one of my very favorite PSIs, if there is such a thing. It's the patient safety indicator number nine, our postoperative hemorrhage and hematoma rate. One of the things we need to be mindful for with our surgery patients when they're admitted to the hospital, one of the treatments that is ordered is DVT prophylaxis. So whether that's going to be in the form of SCDs, Lovenox, heparin injections, etc. What's something that all of these have in common? They're all anticoagulants. That's the reason for their medical indication. However, that is good because one of the things that we are wanting to avoid while the patients are in is a DVT or a PE that would throw that patient into a PSI-12, which we can talk about that at a later time. A good place to start when reviewing a patient that has fallen into this measure is the type of DVT prophylaxis that was used. What we want to look for in those is one of the um, exclusions is an ICD-10 CM coagulation disorder code. So what we want to do is we're going to look through their patient MAR medication administration record. We want to look for the anticoagulants, look for the time frame that those were used, and we also want to look for the event of that hematoma and that hemorrhage. We want to make sure that that was used before the event. 
if after we've looked at the MAR and we have seen that that patient has had an anticoagulant, now we need to search for the documentation to see if the provider has linked the hemorrhage and if he has also linked it to that anticoagulant. If he is not, guess what? We have a query opportunity now with this physician. So we want to make sure that we are not putting that physician into a box with our query that we are writing with our options. So we want to make sure that we are crafting a query and mindful of that. So we want to make sure that we are asking options such as, is the hematoma related to the anticoagulant? Is it related to the surgery? Or the biggest one, is it related to both the surgery and the anticoagulant? Because a lot of times that is the case. And we always want to make sure that we use our other and unable to determine options. If by chance that provider agrees and feels that the hematoma or the hemorrhage is related to that anticoagulant and it's appropriate, we are now able to capture that ICD-10 code of D6832, the hemorrhagic disorder due to extrinsic circulating anticoagulants. Not only with this have we excluded the patient from falling into that PSI-9 measure, we have captured a CC, we have risk-adjusted that patient, and we have painted a clearer picture of their encounter. Back to you, Erica. Thanks, Crystal. D68.32 is one of my favorite codes. That was Crystal Kimball, and she is the subject matter expert on patient safety indicator for Covenant Health. Chuck? Thank you very much, both of you. Thank you again. So what's the good, the bad, and the ugly? Well, you're going to know the answer just 60 seconds from now. This is Talk 10 Tuesday. Stand by. Get a clear understanding of the latest coding, billing, and documentation rules specific to critical care including a policy change that allows physicians and non-physicians to share services. Register to attend Critical Care Services 2022 Coding Update and Major Policy Changes. This essential webcast features subject matter expert and medical practice coding expert, Betsy Nicoletti. You will learn several key issues that can help you mitigate your risks for reporting critical care, how a group membership and specialty designation affects coding, how to document medical necessity for concurrent services, when a surgeon is permitted to bill for critical care in the global period, and much more. Register now to attend this important webcast on Tuesday, January 25th at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. What's the good, the bad, and the ugly of America's collective health? Well, our good friend and the Talk to Tuesday resident psychiatrist, Dr. H. Stephen Moffick, joins us now to explain the good, the bad, and the ugly of America's collective mental health. Good morning, Dr. Moffick, and welcome back. I'm so keenly interested in knowing about our collective health because, you know, that would include Dr. Raymond, of course, my pal, Clark Anthony. All of us. Chuck, you know, when I thought about what I was going to say about the current state of our collective mental health as 2022 begins, right away, the famous Western movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly came to mind. Here's why. First, the timetable connections. The movie was made in 1966, in the middle of our civil rights struggles. We are now in another era of civil rights struggles, with political and cultural divisiveness and the threat of gun violence. The recent capital invasion event anniversary suggests to some that this divisiveness is unprecedented. The movie content itself is set in Civil War time. We in our time are concerned about where the intensifying civil conflict is leading to. The movie plot 
briefly, revolves around three gunslingers, good, bad, and ugly, who are competing to find the future of the fortune of buried Confederate gold amidst the violent chaos. Our political fights seem to be centering around President Biden, former President Trump, and Dr. Fauci, who has worked for both presidents. The quest seems to be for power and or wellness. Take your pick as to who among these three is good, bad, or ugly. With the current and historical backdrop of violence, conflict, and pandemic, how can there be any surprise that our collective mental health is worsening? This is ugly. Current polls indicate an uptake on undue anxiety, PTSD, grief, substance abuse, burnout, racism, and anti-Semitism. Some of these are ICD diagnoses, while some are what I would call social psychopathologies. What the prior civil divisiveness didn't have was the pandemic. As one mother of unvaccinated children said, quote, this surge is a painful punch in the gut, deflating and dejecting, especially after a period of a more hopeful time. I'm tired, angry, and hopeless, end of quote. Talk about adverse social determinants of mental health. They seep down to our youth, as recently summarized by the Surgeon General in his 53-page advisory on their dire status of mental health. This is bad. But there are also helpful social determinants of mental health. What the Civil War and Civil Rights time also didn't have is our current psychiatric knowledge and treatments. We have various forms of psychotherapy, especially research-based cognitive behavioral therapy. We have various medications to choose from. There's new technologies such as transmagnetic stimulation. We even have the second coming of psychedelics, which not only have promise for treating depression and PTSD at the right dosage and settings, but increasing positive interpersonal connections. We know that our systems have to improve to prevent burnout, and chief wellness officers are becoming one way to do so. Structural racism is now recognized. That goes well beyond individual racism and is responsible for some adverse effects on mental health. We also have new ways to provide treatment, including the necessity for telepsychiatry during our lockdowns, as well as various other online resources. Diagnostically, upcoming in March are some revisions to DSM-5 and changing to DSM-5-TR. Most importantly, the timely addition of prolonged grief disorder that has 10% of grieving adults um, that prevents them from fully grieving. Moreover, as stars like Simone Baez speak out, the stigma about mental illness is definitely lessening. These are all good, and maybe these goods will outweigh the bad and ugly for 2022. With radical hope, together let us try to find the goal of improved mental health in 2022. Back to you, Chuck. Thank you very much, Dr. Moffick. That was internationally renowned Dr. H. Stephen Moffick. Dr. Moffick is an award-winning author, and we're proud to say the Talk 10 Tuesday resident psychiatrist. You know, here at ICD-10 Monitor and Rack Monitor, we're very proud to be participating in the Heroes Vacation Club. So if you're a healthcare frontline hero, or if you'd like to refer one, here's your opportunity. It's the Heroes in Healthcare Vacation Club, and frontline heroes in healthcare get rewarded for being, well, frontline heroes. For example, if you're a frontline hero, you can get immediate access to week-long resorts starting as low as $379. The Heroes Vacation Club provides discounts on travel everywhere you want to travel, and you save on hotels, resorts, car rentals, and even airfares. Right, Clark? That's right, Chuck, and you can sign up right now at ICD-10 Monitor or Rack Monitor. That's the Heroes Vacation Club, and we are very grateful for the commitment and the hard work of frontline workers 
and we're honored to be part of creating some very important and memorable vacation memories. As you heard us mentioned at the top of the broadcast, the nation's communities of color are most likely to be adversely impacted by maternal health, behavioral health issues, diabetes, and cardiovascular conditions. But the good news is that the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association is doing something really special about these issues. Here now to describe this major undertaking is Linnell James. He is from the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. Good morning, Linnell. And boy, the work that the association is doing is, well, frankly, amazing. Thank you, Chuck. I appreciate that uh, kind welcome. Uh, everybody, as part of exploring the issue of social determinants of health, I want to tie that to the health equity strategy that the association announced in April of this year. Uh, there'll be an article that will be published later today or early tomorrow morning that will give you more insight, but I want to give you the cliff notes and actually bring you inside so you understand how a lot of these moving parts are all aligning in a way to actually address some of the healthcare disparities that are around. Uh, as I mentioned, in April, the association announced its strategy. However, that was built on a year of work looking at some uh, research that was done by Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, uh, looking at some of the initiatives in the industry for social determinants of health and better tracking of race and ethnicity disaggregation, which a lot of research funded by Robert Wood Johnson uh, confirmed that it's important uh, not only to understand the social determinants of health of the patient and the provider, but also to make sure it's very clear race and ethnicity also has an effect that's been, again, documented by research. As part of this, instead of trying to squeeze uh, 20 pounds into a five-pound bag, with some of you who know me know I can do that and talk really fast, what I wanted to highlight is maybe the power of threes and some alignment that we've been able to uh, pull off as part of the work that Blue Cross Blue Shield is doing and also work of the HL7 Gravity Project, uh, which was originally sponsored by uh, SIREN, the Social Intervention Research and Evaluation Network out of the University of California, San Francisco. All of these things in terms of a payer, a social uh, uh, research agency, and also some of the work of the CDC and CMS are all tied together. Uh, when I say the power of three, let's talk about social determinants of health where the, the big three are food, housing, and transportation, where a variety of payers, including the association, has been very active in things like contracting with Lyft to make sure people can get to their appointment or working on with food, food banks to make sure food issues are taken care of. Uh, the other power of three is the way the Gravity Project is aligned with the strategy that the association, which is looking at, uh, which again, we have a press release in April for which we're focusing on looking at starting with four things, looking at maternal health, looking at diabetes, looking at cardiovascular issues, all part of our strategy. As part of moving forward, we're making sure we're aligning with standards initiatives to make sure across the 34 blue plans, they can be integrated. And when I say our strategy, understand all 34 CEOs of all of the blue plans that are on the association board agreed to this strategy. And as part of that strategy, what we're doing, and this is the part where we link it all together, 
CDC is looking at how they do public health. NCQA is looking for a health care accreditation. Robert Wood Johnson has $50 million of grants available, and the payers are going to be piloting this technology in Q2 and 3 of this year, and the Office of the National Coordinator is in the process of finalizing a contract with HL7 to support pilots. We are going to be able to align all these things by tying together the standards work that HL7 is doing with social determinants of health and then also linking it to the health equity strategies of the association where maternal health, race and ethnicity can tie back to HEDIS recording and using SNOMED as a critical part of the code sets that tie all this technology together. There is so much more, but there's a great article that will give you some more highlights. And please use my friend, the Oracle Google, so you can find this information without searching for it very hard. Chuck, back to you. Thanks, Linnell. That was Linnell James from Blue Cross Blue Shield Association. And thank you again. Now it's time for a very popular segment here at Talk to Enthusiasts. It's called Talk Back, and it features our very own Dr. Erica Reamer. Dr. Reamer, it's all yours. People view the CDC's shifting advice as either shady or conceding to capitalist market pressure. I think this attempt of Rochelle Walensky and the CDC to placate the populace is a risky but necessary threading of the needle. We are in a raging pandemic. Omicron is now the dominant variant, and it is exceedingly transmissible. With rampant infection, the next mutation is one genomic testing away from reality. We are all weary of being in a pandemic. We are sick of restaurants not having enough staff to fulfill their takeout orders and of stores not having adequate cashier help. We are sick of supply chain shortages and holdups. Hospitals and healthcare systems are being overrun and overwhelmed. Last week, my husband told me that one out of 75 patients admitted to a hospital in the United States was in his healthcare system, the Cleveland Clinic. Almost 50% of their patients are COVID-19 positive, and there were 3,200 caregivers out on quarantine or in isolation, with 300 new caregivers going out each day. Although 90% is the threshold for herd protection, just under two-thirds of our population has had the initial series of vaccination. About 30% has been boosted. So why does CDC keep changing their guidance. They are trying to thread the needle, following the science, but attending to society's other needs as well. Omicron is faster than its predecessors. The original virus had a median incubation period of five days with a range of two to 14 days. Omicron has a median period of just about three days before symptoms develop. People are maximally contagious one to two days prior to the development of symptoms or having a positive test, and Omicron is maximally transmissible for the next two to three days. This is why five days is that new magic number. Let's remember that those original mitigation measures in early 2020 were to avoid overwhelming the healthcare system, not intended to squelch the virus. Omicron seems to predominate in the upper airways and is less robust in the pulmonary tissues, which is hopeful. However, some of the data I have seen seems to suggest that although the onset of disease is quicker, the progression to severe disease and hospitalization may be delayed. 
When the vaccines became available, we hoped we saw the light at the end of this tunnel. But somehow politics co-opted common sense and trust in the medical establishment, and we did not have enough vaccine uptake. Vaccinated people can contract and transmit Omicron, but they are much less likely to have severe disease, hospitalization, and death. However, the sheer force of huge numbers is bombarding the healthcare system, and who knows what will happen with long COVID. The current recommendations are different depending on whether someone is fully vaccinated and boosted or not. Anyone who is positive is instructed to isolate at home for five days. If they are asymptomatic or symptoms are resolving more than 24 hours after resolution of fever, they can leave home wearing a mask for the next five days. For exposure, if you are within six months of the initial two-dose mRNA regimen or two months of J&J or further out with an appropriately timed booster shot, you need not quarantine, but you should wear a mask for 10 days. If you have not been fully vaccinated or at all, or you are eligible but haven't boosted, you should quarantine for five days and then continue to wear a mask for five more days. If you can test on day five, you might be reassured. If you develop symptoms, you should isolate and test. The guidance for healthcare workers is similar, except there are adjustments for contingency and crisis scenarios. I refer you to the CDC website. It is a little shocking. My advice is to go back to basics of masking, social distancing, good hand washing, and increased ventilation. Go back to surgical masks to protect others and N95s to protect yourself and get vaccinated and boosted. The brunt of Omicron may be over in a month, but the repercussions may be felt for a long time to come. Back to you, Chuck. Wow, thank you very, very much, Dr. Reamer. And that's going to be a wrap for our 489th Live Edition, Dr. Ntusi. And I want to thank our panelists today, Lori Johnson, Tim Powell, Crystal Kimball, Dr. H. Stephen Moffick, Linnell James from the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, and as always, our co-host, Dr. Erica Reamer. And remember, you can listen to all the Talk in Tuesday broadcasts on Stitcher, Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. And when you do, give us a review. Until next Tuesday, I'm Chuck Buck reporting for ICD-10 Monitor Talk in Tuesday. Have a great week, everybody. Talk 10 Tuesday is a production of ICD-10 Monitor.